This is the Maverick Minister Deranged Story of Jesus podcast series. Hello, I'm Mike Davis. And I'm Grace Smith. And we want to welcome you to our next series in the Maverick Minister podcasts. If you've listened to some of our other episodes, from either the Deranged Bible Story or the Deranged Christmas Story series, you might remember that they are unique, humorous, and very unusual ways of looking at parts of the Jewish and Christian scriptures. Since we have just finished with the Christmas story, this series will continue with the story of Jesus as it is written in the Gospel books of Mark, Matthew, and Luke. As always, they will present this story from a unique, humorous, and very unusual perspective while trying to keep the meaning and spiritual value intact. We would like to remind everyone that these stories in no way claim divine inspiration, nor do they seek to demean the writings in the Bible. Our only hope is that they might be enlightening and entertaining for you. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. I'm speaking of words that cannot be ignored because there's a new world coming and you better change your ways or you won't be ready for the judgment days. So don't you just sit there. Don't you be bored. Prepare ye, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Can I have an amen, brothers and sisters? Just what are you supposed to be? John the Baptist. John the what? The Baptist, the Baptist. John the Baptist. You remember him, don't you? He was Zachariah and Elizabeth's boy. Oh, yeah. The old priest who had to get his wife pregnant so he could talk again. That's a serious oversimplification of the story. Well, we don't have to tell it again, do we? Well, now everybody's wondering what it's all about. Well, we could tell them to listen to podcast one of the deranged Christmas story series. They could find out about it there. I think we just did. Okay, then let's get on with this story. So, what makes this John the Baptist guy so special? His job was to tell everybody to get ready for Jesus. Wait a minute. I thought the angels told that to the shepherds and everybody else who didn't listen on Christmas. Well, that's the point. Nobody but the shepherds got the message on Christmas. So, God told John the Baptist to tell everybody that he was here in the flesh, and because of that, the world was about to change. Okay. So, how did that work out? Better than the angel thing, but it wasn't an overwhelming success. Really? Why not? Well, part of it could have been John's delivery. What do you mean? John was a little unusual, a little rough around the edges and abrasive, especially when he tried to tell people about God changing the world. Seriously? What did he say? Actually, it just wasn't what he said. It was how he looked, what he ate, and what he said that could have been at least a part of the problem. Wow. So fill us all in on that stuff. Maybe it would be better to let John fill everybody in himself. The following is a letter from John the Baptist to his uncle Joseph in Nazareth. Yes, that is Jesus' dad. Dear Uncle Joey, I appreciate your letter inviting me to come to Nazareth and to go into the carpentry business with you. I know that it was my dad who asked you to do that, too. He thinks I ought to get out of the prophet of God business and do something meaningful. 
He says, there's no future in religion. I have to admit, after doing this for the past few years, I'm beginning to find that wearing camel hair and eating grasshoppers, even when they are dipped in honey, is getting a little old. I'm also finding that my circle of friends is getting kind of limited. I mean, I don't get invited to parties or out for dinner or anything. I'm not sure that I understand why. But people seem to feel that just because I call them snakes and suggest that if they don't change their ways, they're going to be destroyed by the fiery wrath of God, that I'm a little too abrasive for most social gatherings. Anyway, Dad says that since I'm almost 31, it's time I quit fooling around with religion and get a real job. Since you're in carpentry, he hoped that you could help to get me started in a new career. But I have to tell you the truth, Uncle Joey. I'm not sure that I can really do anything other than what I'm doing now. It's not like this is what I planned or even what I wanted to do with my life at this point. Believe me, I've got nothing against carpentry. But I can't help but believe that God doesn't want me to be anything but a prophet right now. Every time I think about where else I might go, what else I could be doing, or even what else I might want to do, I get this incredible urge to go out by the river and scream at the top of my lungs that something wonderful is happening to this world and that everybody has got to wake up and pay attention to it. I don't even know what it is. I just know that I have to tell people to get ready for it. It has something to do with getting people to look around and realize that they're lost and that somehow God is on his way to find them all and bring them back home. But the people have to know that he's coming so that they can be ready to follow him. That's what I have to tell them. You brood of vipers! Who warned you to escape from the coming retribution? Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight a pathway in the desert for the Most High. Oh, no. There I go again. I guess I sound pretty weird, but that always happens. I start thinking about this, and I get so excited that I can't seem to stop myself. If I could just make everybody see what God has planned the way that I see it, if only they could, then I wouldn't need to be out here. But so far they haven't been able to see it, and so far he hasn't come. So until he does, I have no choice but to stay out here by the river and keep baptizing people and spreading the word. I hope you understand, Uncle Joey. Besides, you have your oldest son, Jesus, I think his name is, and I know that he's a good stable type who will be a whole lot more level-headed and dependable in business than somebody like me. Please give my love to Aunt Mary, and if you hear from my father, please tell him that I do love him and I appreciate him trying to help. Thanks for everything. Love, Johnny. camel hair and eating grasshoppers? Yuck! No wonder he wasn't very popular. Oh, but he was very popular. People came from all around the Jordan River just to hear him yell and scream at them, and to be told that they had to repent and change their whole lives, and that they had to be baptized in the river to prove that they were ready to make this major change in their lives. Some of them even thought that he might be God in the flesh. So then what's the problem? If they were all getting the message and changing their lives and thinking that he was God, 
even though he made it clear that he wasn't, why did you say that this prophet of God business wasn't very successful? Well, John had a way of really alienating very important and powerful people. The worst incident was when he publicly yelled at Herod Antipas, who was kind of like the king of Galilee. First, he said that Herod had done all kinds of evil things, which he had. That alone would have been a reason for John to get into really big trouble in the first place. But John didn't just stop there. He also yelled about the fact that Herod's second wife, whose name was Herodias, had been married to and then divorced Herod Antipas's half-brother, Herod Philip. Then she married Herod Antipas after he divorced his first wife, Phasaelus, so he could marry her. John told everybody who would listen that all of this was against Jewish law in the first place and that Herodias was a serious scumbag and that Herod Antipas was an idiot. Wow, I am really confused. Why is everybody named Herod anyway? What do you mean, why is everybody named Herod? Wasn't Herod the guy who the wise men saw and who murdered all of the babies in Bethlehem trying to kill baby Jesus? Right. But that Herod died a few years later after Mary and Joseph and Jesus escaped to Egypt. Oh, by the way, that story is in podcast number three of the Deranged Christmas Story series. Right, I get that. So then who is this Herod that John is complaining about? Oh, that Herod is the other Herod's son. His name is Herod Antipas, and he took over being king of Galilee after the first Herod died. But now that you mention it, there were a lot of Herods in this story. There were three sons of the first Herod, Herod Antipas, Herod Philip, and Herod Agrippa. And there was Herodias, who was a woman, but she was only a distant relative of the first Herod. She did marry two of his sons named Herod, though. Oh, never mind the Herod name stuff. I am sorry I even brought it up. But I'm still confused about why John the Baptist got so upset about this couple of divorced people, Herod Antipas and Herodias, getting married. Well, it wasn't really just a simple issue of two divorced people getting remarried. I think maybe we need to hear the whole story. From who? From her. Her who? Herodias herself. want to know what happened to that John the Meddler. Oh yes, you know him as John the Baptist. Regardless of how history has painted him, that man was a busybody and a self-righteous troublemaker. He always looked down his pious nose at anybody who didn't grovel during his contemptuous sermons about repenting and getting ready for God to change the world. Actually, I could have lived with all that if he had only preached. 
It was when he started verbally attacking my dear Antipas and me that I couldn't just sit by and do nothing any longer. I know I'm just a simple housewife and mother, but even we poor, simple women can only take so much. He had the nerve to tell us and anybody else who would listen that we were terrible sinners just because we had divorced our respective spouses so we could marry each other. He insisted that it was against Jewish law and in really bad taste. You have probably heard that Herod Philip, my first husband, was Antipas' half-brother, and he was also my half-uncle. I know that sounds a little bit tawdry and lewd, but what can I say? I made a serious mistake. It wasn't until I got to know Antipas that I knew just how bad my marriage to Phil really was. Actually, if I'm being honest, it was love at first sight. It was those cute little Antipas dimples that convinced me we were meant to be together. Phil didn't really want a divorce, but he knew very well that I can be whiskey in a teacup if I don't get what I want. So he went along with it. Antipas also dumped that filious girl he had married just because she was some king's daughter and it was politically expedient to marry her. We got free of those losers and we were set to live happily ever after. Until John the Meddler came along and started stirring up trouble. He had everyone in Israel all worked up and in an uproar. He had to be stopped and poor Antipas as cute and sweet as he is, didn't have the backbone to get the job done. So it fell to me, the simple housewife and mother, to take care of the meddlesome prophet. But how to do it was the problem. I could have just had him killed, but that would have upset Antipas because he was afraid of all this religious mumbo-jumbo. He kind of liked John, and it would have caused what Antipas called a political dilemma. I did finally get Antipas to put the loudmouth in jail where he could do less damage, but in my heart of hearts... I knew he had to go. I'd like to be able to tell you that I thought up a wonderfully devilish scheme to get the job done, but that isn't what happened. I just took advantage of a completely unexpected opportunity. You see, it was Antipas' birthday, 
and he had thrown a huge party for all of his buds. My God, there must have been at least a hundred of them drinking, spitting, and scratching right there in the main banquet room. Well, one thing I have learned in public life is that when you have a room full of half-drunk, sleazy, smelly politicians, they only think about three things, money, war, and sex. Not necessarily in that order. Actually, I'm pretty well convinced that they only raise flags and go to war when they can't get anything else up. So Antipas decided that it would be fun for the boys to see my daughter Salome dance. She is the only good thing that came out of my marriage to Phil, and she is a stunningly beautiful young girl who I named after my grandmother although she gets her looks from me. Oh, I knew that Antipas and his crew were not at all interested in her dancing. They just wanted to ogle her. But what could I do? Sometimes it's easier to put up with a little indignity when you know how to cash in on it in the long run. So... Salome did her dance and the boys ogled away. Well, Antipas was so excited that his boys loved her performance that he offered to give her anything she wanted, up to half of the kingdom, as a reward for her dance. Well, she's young and I have taught her well in the ways to maximize valuable opportunities. So she came to me to get advice before she chose her reward. That's when I saw my opportunity to get rid of the motor mouth prophet. To make sure, I asked her if she was certain that Anipus had said he would give her anything up to half of the kingdom. Oh, she said that she was very sure and that everyone had heard him give his word as an oath and agree that he would and could not refuse her anything. That's all I needed to know. I told her to go back and ask for the head of John the Baptist on a silver platter as her reward. She looked at me like I had lost my mind. She said that the whole idea was gross, nasty, and that she had no intention of asking for anybody's head to be delivered to her. Oh, we simple housewives and mothers have to put up with so much opposition when we're only trying to help our families understand what they really need. It didn't take me long to convince her to do what was necessary. Guilt is the gift that keeps on giving, you know. And 
It didn't take Salome long to convince Antipas that if he didn't provide John's head on the platter, then he would have a huge political dilemma on his hands. And that is how the story and how John the Baptist ends. I just want to leave you with this one final thought. Always remember never to antagonize a simple housewife and mother. It could cause you to lose your head. <laughs> so, that's what happened to John the Baptist. The only other thing he did in the story, before he lost his head, was to baptize Jesus. Wait a minute. Jesus got baptized? I thought you said that people were only getting baptized by John to show that they were changing their lives and getting ready for God in the flesh to show up. That's right. So since Jesus was God in the flesh and he did show up, why did he need to be baptized? Well, actually... Theologians have come up with all kinds of answers to that question, but nobody really knows for sure. In fact, John even asked Jesus that same question when he told John to baptize him. So, what did Jesus say? He just said it needed to be done, and when it was over, God spoke from heaven and said that it was a great experience. Hold on. Jesus was God in the flesh, and he was getting baptized in the Jordan River in Israel? Right. So, if God is getting baptized in Israel on earth, how does God make a speech in heaven at the same time? Oh, it's called the Doctrine of the Trinity, but it's really complicated to try and understand. Oh, then never mind trying to explain it. There is way too much of this God business that's complicated, and I'm already confused enough. So, did this baptism thing have any impact on the story? Absolutely. After that baptism happened, everything started to change. Like what? Well, that's what we're going to talk about in the next podcast. So... Stay tuned to the Maverick Minister Deranged Story of Jesus podcast series as the whole story continues to unfold.